Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We stand by just waiting for your call. There you go. Just sitting here wondering what else we're going to talk about <laughs> if nobody calls. <laughs> to be honest about it all. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, give us a call. We always appreciate hearing from you, wherever you may be. Sure. Anywhere around the country, all around town. Just give us a call. We'll hook you up and get you right straight up to the top of the list. That we will. There you go. You know, I uh, remember last week we were going to discuss just a little bit about distracted driving. And uh-huh. I know it's not directly related to auto repair. It is automotive. Uh, related. I, I think that you, know, you just have to listen to the news media at all, and you will hear how many times stories come up about distracted drivers. Sure. and. Certainly, your odds of being involved in an accident or hurting somebody are astronomically higher if you are distracted. And, of course, num- I'd, I'd have to say probably the number one thing that makes news now is using cell phones sure. or texting while you're, while you're driving. And a lot of states are starting to pass legislation. I'm not 100% sure how they're going to enforce all that. but I don't know. It's going to be interesting to find out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know Louisiana, I think they, they passed some legislation where it can be up to $1,000 first offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and surely after an accident, they can take your cell phone and find out if you were texting or not. Sure. Because it's all time stamped and all, but I don't know how you would enforce it beyond that. Uh, and what they were also saying is if you were involved in an accident mm-hmm. while distracted driving, the fines could be doubled. Wow. So, yeah, they, they, they want to crack it down. They want to stop it. It's just like you're saying. How are we going to enforce it? Mm-hmm. You know. Well, you know, I, I guess I'm not a big fan of Big Brother or any of that. I'm but not either. <laughs> it would not be real difficult to build into the car jamming device that when you put the car in gear, it would jam right. the cell phone. I, I mean, that's I'm not advocating that. But, I mean, if they wanted a technological solution to the problem, that could certainly be done. Of course, the drawback is if you have car problems. But generally, if you have car problems, you'll be sitting on the side of the road not in gear going down the road. Exactly. So, you, I mean, you could make it to where it would still work when the motor was running. In case you, or maybe a certain mile an hour yeah. that it jammed out. Yeah, whatever. I mean, they the technology is certainly there. Sure it is. That would be real easy to do, and um, who knows. But there, there's also other forms of distractions other than there are. your cell phone. You know, when, that's not bad enough. Well, <laughs> when I started driving 30, 40 years ago, um, you know, the biggest thing you had was the radio. Yeah. In in a vehicle. Um, but like you said, today you got cell phones, you've got internet, right. you've got um Wi Fi, they're they're being built into the automobiles now. Well which, and the maybe someone sitting in the passenger seat is looking at their cell phone, they see something interesting and they show it to you as a driver and, and you still you dra- look over where you're distracted. Exactly. At that point. I mean you're you're not paying attention to the road any longer. And to me, some of these warning devices they put on cars are very distracting. Oh, yeah. They're they're extremely aggravating. I mean, they got just so many things that the car is capable of warning people about, and these chimes going off and lights popping on distracts me when sure. I'm driving. And unless it's something absolutely critical that I need to know right now, I would prefer not to see all that. Cause I, yeah, I find that distracting. Sure. But, uh, Anything I, that takes your, your attention off of the road. Right. Anything the, that takes the car the ahead of you sure. and, and operating that vehicle. Well, another thing would be like an accident in the other lane. If you ever notice, you'll have traffic slowed down a lot, uh-huh. uh, maybe bumper to bumper, and you get there and there's nothing, no obstruction or anything. It's an accident in the other lane. 
or even an officer has a vehicle pulled over on the other side right. of the road. And everybody's we'll slowing slow down, to, down to stop and look. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, the, the looky-loos, and that, again, is, is a problem. But uh, something like an animal uh, on the side of the sure. road, we've seen that. You know, in, in south Louisiana, it's not uncommon to see a deer no, on the side not of the at road all. grazing or, or uh, whatever. You, you know, and inevitably, they will get out and get into the, the lane yeah. sometimes. It can happen. Trying to cross the road. Um, you see them hit on the side of the road and dead, you know. Mm-hmm. It happens. So anything, even somebody walking, which I'm, I believe there's a law against walking down the side of the interstate. Yeah, I think but so. It still happens. Yeah. And, you know, something that I think probably only happens in South Louisiana. oh And that's an alligator walking down. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I have seen that, too. Yeah, I'm not saying it couldn't happen. I remember I have seen se- that. several years ago there was one crossing I-12, uh-huh. a big guy. Yeah. And uh, he's just ambling on across, had traffic backed up. Sure. Sure. Everybody's get out of the car, taking pictures, and, and one thing or another. It's probably the wisest thing to do, but uh, certainly, yeah. certainly not something you see every day. Yeah, we were coming back one light late from New Orleans and got around Laplace, mm-hmm. and traffic started bottlenecking, and everybody was ducking out, and finally <laughs> got around, and this big alligator crossing the road. I mean, just. It happens, you yeah, know. And, they and decide it, to cross. They they go well, on. and they don't get in a big hurry. No, although they can, you know, if, if they're running after you, they're chasing you. I think they can get they can hit pretty good speed. They're, alligators are a lot faster than you would think. You would think only yeah. for a short period of time. They can't run long distances, but they can get up fast. Get a sprint, a lot faster than a man can run. I tell yeah. you that. So all you, all you gotta do is outrun the guy next to you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, guy. So he sees the alligator come, he starts tying his shoes, uh, tightening his shoes. I said, man, you can't outrun alligators. I ain't got to outrun alligators. I just got to run you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I just thought we'd kind of mention sure, that. Sure. I know uh, when you get a learner's permit now, they there's a big prohibition about using a cell phone mm-hmm. with a learner's there permit. Is. And police are watching for that. So if you do have it where they can see it, they may very well pull you over and ticket you in. It's a non unsubstantial amount of money right that uh, you may get hit with it so something to look out for i mean not that you wouldn't just by common sense do it but uh you know no You'd matter be surprised what you see going down the interstate oh i do all the time man because I'm, I'm back and forth between new orleans and baton rouge constantly sure. and i look over somebody sitting there one thing that always aggravates me you're sitting at a long red light and the light turns green and the person's just sitting there texting mm-hmm. away right and you, you only got so much time to get through here and then it's gonna be another long red light so. yep uh, yeah, yeah I, even I, when you stop that, when you, when you're behind the wheel, you really don't need to have a cell phone no. in, in your hand uh, at all. Try to interact because it takes concentration and hand it off to the person next to you or someone in the back seat. Let them make a call for you if you. There you go. And, and Very even, good advice. Yeah, I mean, even the hands-free ones. I mean, it's probably better than one in your hand. But well, I mean, still, you're still distracted. If it's important enough to to take your attention off the road, just go ahead and pull over. Yeah, it don't take five ten minutes to pull over, make what you got to do, and then get back in the road. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I wish I wish people would really do that because yeah. you know I coming in this morning, passed a, a car and the, the driver sitting there, two hands on the phone and one knee on the steering wheel. <laughs> We're going seventy miles an hour down the interstate. <laughs> he, I mean, yeah, you doing seventies passing? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it gets bad sometimes. Well, you know, a lot of people will say uh, they'll talk about like the autonomous cars, which obviously are coming, mm-hmm. self-driving cars. Oh my God, I don't want a computer. I said, look. A computer can't do one bit worse than the average driver. Oh, exactly. <laughs> at, at very least, it's not going to get distracted. <laughs> it's going to just execute its program. It's not going to get mad. It's not going to get right. Uh, it's feeling not going to get road, road, road rage. rage. That's right. So, I think that'll probably be the ultimate solution. If we, 
if and when we do finally come out with the self-driving I know, cars. I know a lot of people that could use that feature. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, anyway, I thought we'd just kind of mention sure. that. You know, another thing that you had mentioned earlier uh, before it came on the air, and that is cars and maintenance. You know, we've been taught that maintenance is a really good thing, uh-huh. and proper maintenance is a really good thing. And that's the key word, proper. Proper. Improperly done maintenance can be worse than no maintenance at all. Sure. And a lot of the car manufacturers know this. Well, they've realized it. And they even realize that maintenance in their dealerships a lot of times is not done properly. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons they're moving away from suggesting or even in many cases allowing maintenance on their cars. Because they realize getting this car through the warranty period is probably easier with no maintenance at all than sure. to have some jughead in the dealership screw do the it maintenance wrong. up, do it wrong. And so that's why you're seeing vehicles now that cannot be maintained over a lot of things. And we're going to go into that way more in depth here in just a minute, but we're going to go ahead and take our first quick little break. Be right if back with a whole lot more. ever plan to motor west. Welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Carey. We sure appreciate you spending Saturday morning with us. Why don't you give us a call? That way you can participate in the show as well. Get you a live answer. There you go. Whatever might be bugging you, just give us a call. We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Thought we talk a little bit today about things that can go wrong during the maintenance process. That's sure. are 100% preventable, but do happen. And one of the first things that I noticed on cars that they eliminated as a maintenance item is that all cars a number of years ago had grease fittings. On the suspension parts. All on the suspension parts. Uh-huh. Some of your really old cars back in the 50s might have had, what, 20, 30 grease fittings. At least 20. Yeah. Uh, I, I can think of, of several, you know, that weren't very common later on, but at that time, instead of using a uh, rubber-bonded lower control arm bushing, right. it actually had a uh, greasable. A greasable one that was, like a it was screw. a nut and a, and a bolt almost. It was a, a thread type a deal. Threaded type thing. And you had to keep grease in it. Mm-hmm. So it was grease. That was, you know, half dozen more grease fittings there that they eliminated when they went to the rubber bonded right. control arm bushes. Well, and obviously, if you have a greasable fitting, it's probably, as long as it is greased properly and timely, it's going to probably last the life of the car. Sure. However, if you don't grease it, now, what happens, in order to make it greasable, you have to make it where grease can come out because you can't put more in if some can't come out. And when it can come out, it can come out when you're not greasing it. So what happens is that as the grease leaks out, which it will inevitably do, sure. and you don't put any more in, now you have two metal parts rubbing dry. So the part wears out prematurely. Another classic example is like the U-joints. Mm-hmm. and. I know when people replace their U-joints, the old one lasted 150,000 miles. So, well, I'm going to put a greasable in there so it'll last long. Okay, well, that's great. As long as you're going to crawl under this car or truck every 3,000 miles and squirt a little bit of the right kind of grease into it. And that's the key word. A little bit. A little bit. Of the right kind of grease. Right. And because some's good doesn't mean more is better. Right. You don't want to grease it where you have grease coming out of the seals. Well, you don't want to put a thick chassis grease in there which won't lubricate and you don't want to put a thin grease that's going to run right out mm-hmm. it has a specification for the grease for that joint and that's what has to be put in there if you sit there and just keep pumping grease into it you can blow the seals out now sure. water grit and grimes will get in so it's actually worse to service it wrong 
than to put a seal joint. You figure the seal joint went 150,000 miles. Exactly. And many of them last a life in a car. I mean, the ones on my truck are the original ones in my truck. Sure. And, and they're still fine. They put a very high-quality synthetic grease. They seal it where nothing gets out, nothing gets in. And they actually extended the life of them. We have less problem with U-joints today than we did in the past. Right, and if you happen to put a greasable joint in and you go to grease it and the drive shaft's not in the correct position. You can't get to it. You can't get the fitting on it. Sometimes you have to disconnect the drive shaft from the differential, turn it a certain way where you can get the grease fitting on it, and those tend not to get greased at all. Well, because <laughs> it gets hard. Sure. Then people tend to stray away from things that are hard. And really just the fact of having to get under a vehicle and with a grease gun and, and squirt grease in these things is, is pretty inconvenient by the sure day standards. Uh, another thing is like the ball joints and stuff that were all greasable several years ago, and now hardly any of them are. Again, it's sealed. It's got a urethane boot. Nothing gets in. Nothing gets out. So long as you leave it alone, it's fine. It's probably going to last a long, long time. But you look at the old ones that were greasable, the first thing people would do is because the tip of that Zerk fitting is full of grease because a little bit always leaks back out, it attracts all the grit and grime off the road. Well, people would take a grease gun, stick it right on that Zerk fitting. Well, all the grit and grime that's on the edge of that fitting it's is now, now being forced into the joint, sure, which is going to destroy it. So the proper way is you would have to wipe all that completely clean. Again, make sure you got the right kind of grease. Put it on one, at most, two pumps of the gun. When the boot starts to expand, you stop. Right. You don't keep going till the, the boot till it comes leaking out of the boot. Right. By that time, you've torn the boot or displaced the boot. Now it can no longer protect the joint. I can remember we used to change lower ball joints on Chevy pickup trucks. All the time. Oh, man. I mean, by the time they had 50,000 miles, they wore slam out. And the reason being, either they weren't greased at all, or if they were greased, they were greased improperly. Right. Every, every, just about every time you'd pick one up, you know, you'd get underneath it to change the oil, you'd look and the boots were busted. Right. And they put the wrong kind of grease in them. They would over-grease them. Uh, they would pump dirt, grit, and grime because they wouldn't clean it before they did. Most of the grease guns you'd see laying around were filthy because oh, yeah. they'd stick it on a dirty fit, and well, now all that grit and grime inside of your grease gun, so everything you grease from then on is full of it. Well, not just that. It holds grease on the end of that fitting. Right. Even if you wipe it off, there's a film there. It attracts dirt and, and whatever from laying on the bench or laying well, wherever it's at. And you got a good point because it, the grease gun should never be laying on the bench. It exactly. It's an enclosed area you keep it in that's sealed so that it doesn't do that. Right. I know we're very careful about that at Agco, keeping the grease guns put up. And we have multiple cartridges for different type of applications. Sure. There's not one fits all. Just because you put some grease in there doesn't mean you're doing good. And if you don't do that kind of stuff, uh, you know, if I've seen a bench where there's a bench grinder sitting right next to where the grease gun is. Sure. All Everything you grind, attractive. all that is sticking to that grease at the end of the grease gun. Well, when you put it on the car. You're forcing that right into the joint. Right. So by making it non-serviceable, they extended the life. Now, they didn't extend it over what would have happened had you greased it properly because then it could have lasted probably forever. But they extended the life over the average, which was improper service. Mm -hmm. And the same thing is starting to hold true more and more and more and more. One of the reasons they eliminated fuel filters on cars was because people would go in and change the fuel filter. Well, number one, they'd go to a big box store why a white buy a white box filter sure. that wasn't nearly as good as the filter they were taking off. It didn't meet the specs of the car company. It's just a cheap, in some case, counterfeit part. Mm -hmm. Put it on. Now it's dripping gas under the car, which is dangerous. Uh, 
I mean, well, at, at very least, it wasn't filtering the fuel properly. Right. Not maybe put on backwards. So some, now it's some not filtering will. the fuel at all. So in order to just eliminate that, what it is, they made the filter a part of the fuel pump, which kind of offered the advantage if it can filter the fuel before it goes into the pump, which protects the pump, pump now, whereas right. before it only protected the injectors. Made a big filter that could last a long time. The drawback is when and if it does restrict, now the you end up fuel tank the has to come tank, out. Tank out, or at least if there's an access panel, take that out, take the pump apart, and change this filter. Now, a handful of the imported cars do offer a filter. I know Toyota does sell a filter for a lot of their models. You mm-hmm. can buy a filter and replace it. I believe that's the one that has the access in the, under the back seat. A lot of them do have a panel under the back seat that you can take out. You can get to the top of the fuel tank. It's sitting right there. You right. screw the gland nut. You can get into it, take the pump out without dropping the tank, and replace the filter. And then put it all back together. And, and I, I've seen that run array, too, because once you pull that seal apart where the, the pump comes out of the right. tank, it has to be put back perfectly. Well, not only that, backing up just a step, taking it out, is a special tool that unscrews that gland nut with no damage. There is. If you don't have that tool and you take a chisel and a hammer and start hammering on it, now you bend the ring or worse, bend the top of the fuel tank. Well, now you got an evap leak, so you got to check engine light nobody can find. Yep. So, again, what they're doing, the, the manufacturers, look, it can make it through the warranty period sure. without doing any service at all. We can put synthetic lubricants in there put enough to last through the warranty period, which firstly is all they're worried about anyway. Right, right. Once you get that 36,000 miles, it's yours. Yeah, it's yours. And, and so that way, if it breaks down, and so much the better, they'll go buy another car. <laughs> but I remember GM, not sure if they're still doing this. I hadn't checked one in a while, but the Chevy pickup trucks and all, they started leaving the rear end about a quart low on all. Right. And every time you check one, they, it was they were a little low. Bit low. And... You wonder why would they do that? Well, number one, you save a quarter of oil on every truck you build because they build a million trucks. trucks. You got a lot, a lot of money. But sure. even more to the point, we'll slightly lower oil level in the rear end. It doesn't lubricate as well. However, it doesn't leak out the axle seals as much either. <laughs> or the pinion seal. Because <laughs> they had a lot of trouble they did. with axle seals leaking on them. And by lowering the fluid level, it actually made that it's, problem appear to be better. Sure. I mean, it just still happens. To me, you make a better seal or you do better machine work. Well, and that way, the bearings. That, that's been all. That's always been GM's problem is machine work. Yeah, but when you get those cars in with relatively low miles, somewhere around 89,000 90,000 miles, well out of the warranty period, but now the axle bearings are worn out. And in many cases, it eats the axle shaft up because they hadn't get properly lubricated. Mm-hmm. Because the way an axle bearing lubricates is you got a puddle of oil in that center section. When you turn a corner, a little bit of that oil. Goes out in that tube, tube, runs down there, and lubes that bearing. But if you drop that level about a quart, now you got to be making either a pretty severe turn right, or hitting a bump while you're making a turn for the oil to actually get down there. And so, on, on those uh, axles, the inner race for the bearing is actually the axle sur- surface itself. That's right. It's not a you know it's not a bearing like you would think it has an inner and an outer race. No, it's an outer race, and then the inner is running on the axle shaft. Exactly. That's why when they don't get lubricated enough, they eat the axle shafts up. Yeah, so now you're into a pretty sizable repair. Sure. That could have been prevented with proper maintenance. I know we used to always get those vehicles in. We'd check the oil, and we'd tell them, hey, it's about a quart low. I had a quart. Okay, great. But you would also, when you did that, you would have to watch because if that axle seal started to leak, because it's an inferior axle seal, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully you'd still be under warranty. You can get GM to change the axle seal for you. Right. Or whomever. But if... You know, you, you didn't do it, then when you got out of warranty, you were going to have a problem. 
So I would rather go ahead and, and find the, the bad axle seal and, and, and replace, it. replace it. Well, not only that, when the, when that gear oil comes out of that axle seal, past the bearing, past the seal, well, and out on the brakes. Yes, out on your brake pads, and now you got a set of brake pads. At the very least. Yeah, or if you got shoes that make it on the wheel cells, eat seals up on the wheel cells. Sure. So it turns into a bigger problem than, than just a se- leaking seal. Well, like anything with maintenance, if it's not done or not done properly, it's going to end up a much bigger problem Sure. than the, the, the actual maintenance was. Another thing that comes to mind is the way they're building transmissions now, and they will tell you it's a sealed transmission. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not a sealed transmission. It just doesn't have a dipstick on it for you to check the fluid level. And again, by removing the dipstick and easy access to checking the fluid and adding fluid, what they've done is eliminated people putting the wrong fluid in. Not enough fluid. Not enough too fluid, much fluid. Too much fluid. And the same thing with the pan. If you go to a parts house and buy a cheap third-world Mickey Moto filter that doesn't work right, you may take the transmission out. Easily. If you put the filter on wrong, now you may suck air, aerate the fluid, and burn the transmission up. So, again, what they've done is by keeping improper service out of the equation, they've extended the life of the transmission. Right, the units last longer. They do last longer. However, when you get to around 100,000 miles, you may be buying a transmission now. Right. Now, they they do have a set procedure for checking that fluid level. Right. But you have to have some special tooling and a lot of information, correct information. Well, what they've done is they've moved it out of the genre of most do-it-yourselfers and more into the genre of a professional. Unfortunately, some of the professionals hadn't kept up and may not do the good job as well as a well-trained or, or learned uh, uh-huh. do-it-yourselfer because at least he's got a vested interest in doing everything right, whereas right. A, a commissioned tech, not to paint them with a broad, broad brush, but a lot of them are rushing through the job because right. they get paid more if they do more and just may not be doing the job as well as it could or should be done. So, again, they're just playing the odds. Again, if it's not maintained and it does fail, that's kind of in their best interest anyway. Sure. I mean, a, a, a repair that big might put you to a new vehicle. There you go. Absolutely. We're going to take our second little break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about coolant service and how to, that how many things can go wrong with that. Stirring up conversation for the capital city. Talk 107.3, the new flavor of talk. Welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. Today we're talking about maintenance and some of the things that can go wrong doing maintenance, why it's important to do proper maintenance. And, of course, that is just a topic we pick. You never sure. limit it to that. Anything that's on your mind, you give us a call. We'll be glad to try to address it and help you out and point you in the right direction. And should you happen to miss your prime opportunity to get a live answer this morning, you can always go to our website and get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. You click the button. It's going to pop up a little form. You fill the form out and hit the send button. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. I'd be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. I mentioned just before the break about one of the things we see. I've had people come in, and their cooling system was just totally wiped out. Mm -hmm. I mean, and there's nothing that will pretty much kill a car faster than a corroded cooling system. Exactly. It's so invasive. It goes in almost every part of the car, uh, engine-wise and under-dash-wise. 
And by the time you realize you've got a problem, it's usually it's, a big problem. Sure. Had a guy come in, and car started overheating. Thermostat was stuck on it. Pulled the thermostat out, and it was just a mass of rust. Mm-hmm. And like I told him, I said, I can change the thermostat, man, but this it's is on the beginning gonna, yeah. of your problems. Your heater core is going to go out. Your, this is going to go out. Why? I said, well, because maybe you never change it. He said, I change it all the time. He said, I change it about once a year. I said, okay, well, how do you do it? And he starts telling me. And I hated to break his heart, but he was doing it completely wrong. Sure. And you know, he's putting the wrong coolant in it, number one. He's adding city water with a hose to the coolant. I mean, you're dumping chlorine and fluoride and all kinds of other chemicals in that the system. Designed, that system's not designed for those. That's right. So changing the coolant properly will greatly, greatly extend the life of the car. It and will. It's something that's really necessary, but doing it improperly is we'll probably in as bad as not doing it at all. Sure. Some cases worse than not doing it at all. Let's see. We got got Donald on the line. Good morning, Donald. I, I'm sorry, David. Hey. <laughs> my, my eyes aren't as good as they used to be. <laughs> Hi, David. Good morning. How you doing? Good. Doing great, man. Uh, you know, uh, my last week I heard a uh, guy talk about a uh, drain and fill on a Escape. Okay. On the transmission. Yes, sir. Like every 20,000 miles. Y'all mm-hmm. said, yeah, that might be a good thing to do. Yes, sir. Uh, my wife has a 2015 Jeep Renegade. You know, it's got that nine-speed transmission mm-hmm. that may not be the best. Is, okay. that a, is that something good to do for that transmission, or can it be done? I don't know if it's a drain plug on that or not. I'd have to look it up in surface data. There's just so many of them out there now, David. I can't keep track of all of them. If it's got a drain plug, it certainly wouldn't be a bad idea. I think that one does have a pan that you can remove and do a proper service. But there are some of those that the filter is part of the oil pan. I'm not sure it's that one. And they are very, very pricey. Uh, the part's like three over $300. Just for the filter pan assembly. Uh, so yeah. you, you got to take that into, into account. Uh, something else you need to take into account is how you're going to refill it. Yeah. Because I'm not sure if that one has a dipstick or not. Yeah, a lot of them do not have dipsticks on them. So checking the fluid requires special tooling. So right. even uh, to refill it, you're going to have to have some kind of pump to pump the fluid out of a container back into that into the unit itself because there's no way you can get a funnel to it right and it has to be a certain kind of fluid as specified by jeep i mean if you want to try to do it yourself you need to get access to service data read the entire procedure make sure you understand it and then you could probably do it yourself uh alternatively you could take it to someone who's going to do it right uh, and i wouldn't necessarily assume that just because a guy works in a dealership or even owns a shop that he's going to do it right you know i would want to read up on it myself, learn the procedure, and then kind of quiz him on how you're going to do this. <laughs> uh, to yeah, make it sure wouldn't it's be something be... I would do myself because I know you got to get the car level and all uh-huh. kind of stuff. And you, you do? Gotta make sure you get the level in the fluid right and all that on them nowadays. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would I would take it in if it's something that's worthwhile doing. I it definitely is worthwhile it. doing. The reasons being a lot of the newer cars, you really can't either can't get to the filter or if you can get to the filter, it's extremely expensive. So what a filter does is it's removing debris from the fluid. And the way it's going to plug up is if too much debris gets into it, that plugs it up. So certainly by draining the dirty fluid out and putting clean fluid back in, it's going to make the load on the filter a whole lot less. Not only that, but the additives in that fluid go away over time. 
So, you know, you're definitely not going to ever hurt yourself by doing it just so long as it's done properly. You know, you don't want somebody going and dumping the wrong kind of fluid in it. You know, dumping Dextron 3 into a nine-speed transmission would be or, the kiss of death. Or worse yet, one of those one-kind-fits-all. One yeah, universal fluid universal or something. You want, you want the right fluid put back in there. But, yeah, even just a drain and fill is going to remove a lot of the fluid and a lot of the debris. The ones where the filter is reasonably priced and easily accessible, I would change the filter as well. But, uh, like I said, more and more we run across that. I know there's a Ford six-speed that you have to replace the pan to get the filter. It's part, right. of, part of pan assembly. And those are probably $180, $200, $300 just for that pan assembly, you know, which to yeah. me is ludicrous to even make something that way, but that's the way they did it, you know. Well, good. I will, uh, I'll give you guys a call and uh, let you know which one model I have, and then you guys can probably tell me what it would uh, Yeah, Yeah, I, I could probably look it up in service data, although sometimes they use multiple transmissions in them, so you can't right. always tell without looking at it. Sometimes you have to actually have the car in where you can look at it and see which transmission they put in this particular car, you know, because, I mean, they're built right. different plants at different times and different motor combinations, different suspension combinations. Yeah, I've seen one car have maybe five different transmissions in it. All right. Well, good. That's what I was wondering. Okay, David. Thanks for calling, man. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Good question. And, you know, that's one of those things where if you service it properly, you're going to extend the life of it. Sure. Uh, And the same thing like we were just talking about with coolant. But coolant is a very, very delicate chemical reaction. It's really something that has to be done with a lot of finesse. And a lot of times people will call and they'll, or excuse me, email and they'll say, how do I change the coolant and such, such, such. And what I always refer them to is, look, it's more than I can go into in an email. Mm-hmm. However, I probably got six, seven, eight, nine articles on my website. Just type in the word coolant or replace coolant. In the search bar? In the search bar, and you're going to see some really, really in-depth articles. Some of them are two parts long. It mm-hmm. took two articles to, to put it all in there. But it will go really into depth about how you have drain plugs on the side of some engines. Not all of them have it. Right. How you have vent plugs. Yeah. If you have a drain plug or a vent plug, you can pull. Sometimes you can pull a lower radiator hose. These are ways of getting more of the old coolant out. Because the more coolant you can get out, the better Better it is. Also, the sooner you do it relative to the life of the coolant, the better. Because if you let it deplete 100%, and this particular vehicle does not allow you to drain 100% of the coolant, you're going to have 20, 30, whatever percentage of depleted coolant going around with your new coolant. Right. Whereas if you change it before it totally depleted, the situation is much, much better. So, you know, these are some of the things. Now, just briefly kind of touching on some of the, I guess, stumbling blocks on changing coolant. Number one, there are dozens and dozens of coolants on the market. There are. I personally do not use or advocate universal coolants they may be okay they may not be okay the the downside is just far too bad for the little bit of savings you're going to get by using a universal coolant go back to the dealership or go wherever you can buy a name brand manufacturer uh, manufacturer name brand brand coolant not just a name brand coolant for instance if it's a gm product and it's got dex cool buy the dex cool brand right you can buy it in five gallon uh jugs yeah the uh i mean if you got a, a Ford product, Motocraft makes a VC3. They make a VC7. Uh, seven. Seven. They make all these different coolants. 
Yeah, I think I think Ford has four different coolants at oh, this time, or maybe more. They've got a yellow, four, I can think a of. yellow, orange, a green. They got and, two greens. Yeah, and and a and a gold, I think. Uh, golden uh, orange. They got an orange, orange. also, at, right? And lim- limited production, right? So you got to make sure you're getting the right coolant. The easiest way to be sure is to go back to the dealer, give him the VIN number, and let him look up the coolant for that car. Now, on some of the Ford products, yes. I have seen a sticker on the coolant recovery jug that says "replace with the same type coolant." Right. When you look it up, it doesn't give you a specification. Well, so that's because they use so many different coolants; they didn't even know themselves what was in them. Right. If it's got orange, orange needs to go back. If it's right. got yellow, yellow needs to go back. But the kicker is, if you wait too long and the fluid gets depleted, it's going to change color. Not only that, but supposed somebody's changed this coolant before and put the wrong coolant in it. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now you just lost in space. Right. I mean, there's no way to know what originally came in it because they didn't know. Ford don't even know. Right. I mean, they just put the coolant of the week in there. But for the most part, you can put, you know, you go back, give them the VIN number, they can tell you what coolant went in. Be sure, sure you put the same coolant back in there. Now, if the coolant that you want comes pre-mixed, you pay more for it because you're buying half water and half coolant, but at least you've got distilled water well, you've got properly con- mixed. Properly, that's it. You've got the, the, the convenience of having it already pre-mixed to put in the vehicle. I know Honda sells it like that. Toyota sells it like that. Um, well, and again, it's because people weren't putting mixing the right, it right. They were either putting city water into it, which, like I said, has chlorine, has fluoride, has all kinds of chemicals in there it may be a hard may have minerals in it that you don't want in the cooling system or not mixing it the right um mixture well putting the wrong mixture in other words instead of putting 50 50 which is going to work in 99 percent of the country they would put well some's good some more has got to be better well that's not necessarily the case there are instances where you go slightly more than 50 50 if you're in maybe alaska where right. it's 60 degrees below zero you might go 60 40 but because that works there, it doesn't mean that's going to work in South Louisiana. Exactly. Because if you do it here, you're probably going to corrode the cooling system because it doesn't have enough coolant to protect it, and you may overheat. Exactly. Because the, not only does the glycol cool the car, I mean heat the car, it also cools the car. So having an insufficient or uh, uh, over mountain there can end up causing you other issues. So the right amount, 50-50, and it has to be pre-mixed. So if you got your concentrate, what you have to do is get some type of, and the container. key word here is clean container, sure. not some dirty bucket with grease in it or whatever, because nothing goes in that cooling system other than distilled water and the and coolant the that's made for it. Pre-mix it in the exact right measured amounts and then add it to the car. Because I've seen people take and dump a gallon of coolant in and then top it off. Well, you don't know what the mixture is. You don't know what the mixture is, number one. But number two, that coolant is much heavier than water considerably heavier by volume than water. The coolant goes to the bottom of the engine block. Certain engine blocks, that coolant does not circulate. It's just in the water jacket. It may thermally rise and fall a slight amount. The water is going around the cylinder heads, which is where all the heat is, so you overheat the cylinder heads. Mm-hmm. You corrode the devil out of everything, and all the coolant is sitting down around the cylinder walls, so it's not cooling the cylinder walls. So you don't just dump it in there. It has to be pre-mixed thoroughly before putting it in the car. Right. Now, a lot of the older cars had bleed procedures where you had to get the air out of the system after you changed it. Right, because some of them, the um, the engine components were higher than the radiator level. Right. So it tended to form an air pocket there. They realized that, and they put a bleeder screw there. Right. You have to open those bleeder screws and bleed, bleed the, air. the air out. Right. And if yours, uh, most of the newer cars now use surge tanks, mm-hmm. which flow continuously. So they're going to purge almost any air out. If you let it go through a heat cool cycle a couple of times it'll purge all let the it air. heat all the way up turn it off 
Let it cool let all it the way sit down. With the cap off, let all the air bubble out. Do the same thing maybe twice. Doesn't hurt, in my opinion. Do it with the heater on. I always, Although, like, I always like to turn the heaters on because some of the ways they're controlled, if you don't turn the heater on, there may be a vacuum valve that opens and closes. Right. If you don't turn the heater on, it doesn't open. It may not push all the air out of that may core. Not, Although uh, some of them fully flow and it just closes. Some door. very, very, but a lot of them do Since you don't know, you just treat them all like as though that's right. the way it needs turn, to be. Turn all the heaters. If it's got rear heat, turn that on too. Right. Let that fluid flow through the system. Correct. So we're going to take our last quick little break. We'll be right back more with a whole lot more. Well-seasoned with a fresh take on the news. Talk 107.3, the new flavor of talk. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm Lewis Aldazan, host of Auto- Autom- President of Agco Automotive. Go. There you go. I'll get it sooner or later. <laughs> Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Still got a few minutes. Go ahead and give us a call. Talking about coolant. And uh-huh. Just a couple more uh, items that I'd like to mention yeah. on that. Number one is the original coolant in your car was put in every part of the car was new. That's the radiator what, was new, the heater core was new, the hoses were new, the engine block, everything was new. And that's why they give it a five-year Yeah. Generally, uh, it life. has at least a five-year life, and I would not push any coolant much past five no. years. I know some of them say longer, but, you know, I wouldn't push it past five years on the initial fill. Right. Now, that that's the key word, the initial fill. Right. On subsequent fills, I'd be changing every three years. Sure, because now you have a... An older vehicle, right? Which so so you've got contaminants that have gotten into the system well, or created you, you've in the never, system. Never ever got one hundred percent of the old fluid out in the first place. You just can't get one hundred percent out. You the get, only way to do that would be to pull the radiator out, pull the hoses off, take, take the engine, engine out, out, take it apart, dump it out. Right. That would get one hundred percent of the coolant. Right, out. and and then you still got scale and all that's formed in that the engine, has. which is going to be in there. You've got an engine now that has more miles on it, so things like more. head gaskets may leak just slightly. Not enough to be a problem, but they're ingesting some CO2 into that coolant, which is going to make it deplete faster. Mm-hmm. The radiator is going to have a certain amount of scale buildup, so it's not going to flow quite the same. It's just an older car. It's right. just not ever going to be a new car unless you go in and make a new car. So on subsequent fills, you want to replace it every three years. Sure. You, you build it, and, and they, these are the way... Get the information, first off. Buy the right coolant. Do not fall for this universal stuff. Mm-hmm. Mix it properly with distilled water. Do a complete and thorough job. Change it on a timely basis. And you can all but eliminate cooling system problems, which sure. are big, big, big problems. I mean, you're still going to have the radiator problem, which you know, it's, tank a, it's a plastic tank. Crack. Eventually, it's going to crack, and you're going to have to do it anyway. Well, it was never designed to go forever. It wasn't. It's, it's, it's not like last this. 10 10, yeah. 12 years at it, most. It's not like the old um, brass core right. you know, radiators we used to have back in the day. Well, which is another point, and that is that when you get to about 12 years, even though you're not having any problems, you might want to consider just going to replace your radiator. Sure. Just to say it's, it's an on, unpleasant surprise. It's on borrowed time already. Well, it is. It, it's pretty well, you know, we generally, when we're doing some work on the car that involves removing the radiator anyway, the cooling system is drained. The radiator is removed. I'm going to always suggest, hey, this thing is 12 years old. Right. Now Do you want to replace it? Well, it's not having a problem. No, it's not. But we know it's on borrowed time. It just it, They don't last forever. Right. 
and they can last long. Usually they don't give any warning. Usually yeah. they just split and run. the coolant runs out. Some give a little warning. You know, some start losing some coolant. Some will start losing coolant slowly. Some don't. But if you're on vacation and you're on the interstate and this thing breaks, it's going to be very, very inconvenient Extremely. to deal with. If you're planning on keeping the car, just I personally consider a radiator as part of a maintenance. It is item. nowadays, yeah. Yeah, the way they are built nowadays. Now, one last thing that you mentioned uh, during the break, and that is when you let your engine warm, warm up. up after a coolant service. Mm-hmm. After you got the, the service done, you want to let the engine warm up to full operating temperature. And today's vehicles, all most of them now have a electric cooling fans. So you get two things with that. You let the engine warm up until the fan comes on. Mm-hmm. Now, when the fan comes on, the thermostat opens, the coolant starts flowing through the system like it's supposed to. It also lets you know that the fans are working. That's right. Because a fan that is not, even one fan that's not working will give you an overheating problem. Well, and let's say you've got one fan working and one not working, and it's in the middle of the winter, you just didn't notice it. But when summer comes, right, you're going to have a problem. You want to know that right now. Sure. Not only that, but if, let's say the uh, fan on the air conditioner, the condenser fan, is not working. Well, that can lead to severe compressor failure and all these kinds of things so if you look down and one fan works and the other one doesn't then you still got a problem right and and the way that these systems are set up some fans run at half speed some fans are controlled by a module that controls them over a variable variable speed fan mm-hmm. uh, so you just have to know your vehicle and how it operates that's right you know some of the gm products if the air conditions on the fans will come on at a certain temperature but let's say you got a coolish day out. You do not run the air conditioner. I forget the exact number, but I want to say it's about 220, 220 plus degrees before those cooling fans will come on. I've actually got one in the shop right now. The fans come on at 226. Right, 226, 227. I've seen right. that. Uh, and, and that's low speed. Yeah. High speed comes on at 235. Wow. Yeah. So we get a complaint generally every year when it starts cooling down and people quit using the air conditioner, which is not too many days in South Louisiana. Exactly. And they say, well, now my car is overheating. And you look at it, and it's going about two-thirds of the way up. Mm-hmm. But, again, the fan is not coming on. That is programmed into that system. That cannot be changed. That's right. just the way GM built the, the software, car, which I think is too hot, but, I mean, apparently they didn't. Uh, if you turn the air conditioner on, even though it's going to cycle a lot, it'll, co- it'll cool it back down. Sure because it's pulling that air across but the radiator. it's the fact that it's cooler outside that you're not running your air conditioner. So now the, it doesn't need the condenser fan, so it doesn't start that. The other fan doesn't come on until it's on the, the verge of overheating. Sure. I think the overheat code is 256 yeah. uh, on that vehicle I'm working on right yeah. now. So when the temperature reaches 256, it actually turns the check engine light on and starts shutting down cylinders trying to cool itself off. Right, you're actually doing damage you're doing, at that right. point. So. Exactly. Hey, I see we're just about out of time. I want to start getting ready to wind on up, get on out of here. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, find a written view, and fill it out for us. Hey, we sure appreciate when you do that. It lets us know we're doing a good job. It also moves us up in the ranking. So if someone types in a generic term like auto repair show, ours comes up close to the top. I will come up close to the top because it has more ratings. And we've got excess of 300 five-star ratings so that's wonderful really really uh positive thing for us sure really good let's just know we're doing a pretty good job so i guess we'll keep keep doing keep on trying to do it (laughs) (laughs) do it the same way or even make it better there you go hey preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry have a great weekend